John chapter 15 is where we're reading this morning. John chapter 15 and beginning in verse number 1. I don't want to uh, belabor this thing, but I am preaching again in these I am's of Jesus. This is the seventh of these seven sayings, these seven I am's of Jesus in the book of John, Gospel according to St. John. Now, I wish the whole world could have heard the, the study all the way through. I really do. I sincerely regret that maybe one of the studies that I've had that I have most enjoyed in my lifetime and one of these sermon series that I have preached that I have most enjoyed trying to preach in my lifetime that I have preached them to a limited congregation. That's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. It is um, it's flat-out depressing and discouraging and uh, frustrating there's a long list of words I could use for it. Um, but all I can do is preach what I can to who I can if anybody anywhere on planet Earth will listen. And I feel like a dog with a muzzle on. But I'm still preaching and I'm still barking and still doing what I can to try to get the gospel of Jesus out. Amen. I would to God that he that hath an ear that he would hear. I would to God that people would get uh, turn off CNN for a little while Amen. and tune in to, to the gospel radio. Turn your radio on and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on heaven's radio. Tune in to the frequency of God and listen for a little while. Oh, how it would help our hearts, how it would do well for our minds, what difference it would make in our society. Men run to and fro with such fear in their hearts because they're not ready to meet God. You know why people are failing, their hearts are failing them for fear? Now, I'm talking about going off the deep end kind right now. Is because they're not prepared to die. They're not prepared to meet the Lord. They're not prepared to meet Jesus. They're not prepared for the judgment. And we have come to the place in this world where we think people can fix everything. Brother, there's much broken in this world that nothing but heaven's going to fix it. This old world we're living in is sin-cursed and it is broken and we need Jesus because he's the only one can fix it. There are no miracle serums and Amen. there are no miracle uh, uh, resolutions. There are no magic fixes that are going to get rid of all your problems. There is no check to receive to fix every problem you have. Life is going to be short. It is going to be full of trouble and Jesus promised us it would be that way. Karl Marx and his utopian philosophy might be that man can fix all of man's problems. But Marx was wrong when he thought about it and wrote it down many years ago. And his own stuff didn't come to pass because he died. And they couldn't fix his problems. He croaked. He died. And all the rest of these socialists who want to talk about utopias in this world are also going to die. There is no fixing the problems of this broken planet we're living on. You're not going to fix everything that's wrong here. This is a savage world with death and sickness and sin and disease and violence. It has been so since man sinned in the Garden of Eden. And it will be so until Christ Jesus puts it all down in the end. Planet Earth will not be destroyed by nuclear weapons, nor will it be destroyed by diseases and viruses or dictators and potentates. It will be wiped out by God himself who will make a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no more seed. King Jesus is the one that's going to make the difference. Man cannot resolve your problems. All man can do is 
exacerbate your problems. Their intervention will lengthen and disturb and greatly compound the problems that you have. Best thing we can do, trust the Lord, do the best we can, and leave the rest to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus tells us about this in these I Ams of his book. He tells us this about who he is and how he is the only hope that we have. We've studied six of these already. There are seven. That tells you where we are in the study. Today the, is the close of the I Ams in the book of John. We may go next week to the I Am of Reve that he gives us in John's writing in Revelation. I'm praying about that and may reserve that for our Resurrection Sunday. Whenever we have that celebration, I'm praying the Lord to give us direction on it. You pray with me. I want to be obedient to the Lord with that. So you ask the Lord to help me in that and give us direction. But this morning we're reading from John 15, I am the true vine. Everybody that's able and willing, stand with us and we'll reverence the reading of the word of the Lord. I am, I am the true vine. John 15 and 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. You can be seated this morning. Thank you graciously for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. As we have said with each of these I am's of Jesus in the book of John, there are seven occasions that he claims a title and uses a descriptive term for himself. In each of these, he is staking claim to divinity. And he relates truths to the Jewish persons in attendance who are listening. And it is of no accident that he uses the words in all of these I am. These are more than words to start a sentence. They're indicators of the Lord's identity that would have been uniquely understood by the Jews of his time. When Moses asked the Lord, what is your name? When I go back to, is or back to Egypt and tell the Egyptians and the Hebrews what is your, the, the God has sent me down here and they ask me what is his name, what shall I tell them? He said, tell them I am that I am. I am has sent you. That is my name, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the Jehovah God. When Jesus says I am, he's connecting himself with this title unto God and claiming to be not only God the Son, 
but or not on the Son of God, but God the Son, manifest in human flesh. He said things to them, as we mentioned from John 8, 28, Jesus saith unto them, when ye have lifted up, we've celebrated and recognized the, re the burial, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ this week. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He. Many of his own family didn't know He was the Son of God until after the resurrection. But He said, when you've lifted me up, then you'll know that I am He. John 13 and 13, He said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. The first week we talked about I am the bread of life. That is, He is our sustenance. He feeds us. The second week we talked about I am the light of the world. He is our source. He flames us. Uh, the third week we talked about I am the door. He is our safety. He fights for us. The fourth week we talked about I am the good shepherd. He is our supervisor. He follows us. In the fifth week we talked about I am the resurrection and the life. That is, He is the soul. He fires up our lives. In the sixth week we talked about I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was last week. He's the system. He leads us to the Father. And then this week in the seventh installment of these messages we're talking about where Jesus says, I am the true vine. He is our strength. He is fruitful. He is our production. He is our fruitfulness. Any production of fruit, any fruitfulness, any benefit, anything good that comes from our lives is because we are in the true vine. He, he is the vine. We are the branches. Without Him, we can do nothing. If you cut the branch off and cast it aside, it has no root. It has no life. And with no root, it will have no fruit. When it is cut off loose from the vine, it would wither, be fit for nothing but to set a fire and to be cast into the furnace, Jesus says. All seven of these introduces who He is to the people. And if you'll notice, there's a consistency in all seven of them besides just the I am itself. But the consistency is this. He introduces himself to the people in very simple terms. He introduces himself as being God, not in some high-browed, pointy-headed, intellectual approach, not by some educated, great swelling words, but in simple, common terms that the ordinary man can understand. God is an everyman God. Jesus is an everyman Savior. He's a whosoever will Lord. He is Lord of all. Everyone can trust in Him. He didn't just come for those who were smart enough to figure Him out because ain't nobody figured Him out. He didn't just come for those who are wise enough to understand because nobody has fully understood. He came for those who would believe the report. He came to report unto us, I am the true vine. In today's portion of Scripture, He tells us about this. I want to share three simple things with you this morning, a few things about those things, and we'll be done. First of all, let's talk about the personality of the vine. Secondly, we'll talk about the purpose of the vine. And finally, we'll finish with the promise of the vine. First of all, the personality of the vine. The personality of the vine. These words were given, I am the true vine. 
These words were given right before the crucifixion. If you study the book of John, you'll understand and remember that in chapter 13 is where he washes the disciples' feet and they hold the Last Supper. And then in chapter 14, he begins to talk like we read last week. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Chapter 14, 15, and 16 is the sermon. Chapter 13 is the supper. 14 through 16 is the sermon. And then in chapter 17 begins the suffering. The suffering of Gethsemane. The suffering of Gabbatha. The suffering of Golgotha. And by chapter 20 we have the victory of the garden tomb. Declaring unto us his eternal resurrecting life. He is the true vine. I can see our Lord Jesus in chapter 15. He's somewhere between that last supper and the suffering of the garden of Gethsemane. Probably somewhere having crossed the brook there where they had entered into the garden. And maybe even walking along. It is a vineyard where he is in this time. Maybe walking along taking a branch that is there and showing his disciples, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And when he says if that branch has been disconnected or cut off from the vine, he may have well broken off a piece of it, held it in his hand, and said without me ye can do nothing. When he said it's cast aside and to be tossed into a furnace, tosses that branch out and the disciples look at it and realize that piece of branch will never produce fruit. It will never live because it's not connected to the vine. And Jesus tells them that this vine in this vineyard is not really what matters. What matters is me. I am the true vine. What you really need to be connected with is not this world. What you really need to be connected with is not the soil on which you stand. You see, the reason why the branch could not produce fruit without connection to the vine is because the vine was its connection to this world. Its connection to the earth. Its connection to nourishment. Christ said, if you really want to live you don't need a connection to this world you don't need a root in this world you do not need to have my friend a vein of life that connects to the soil upon which you stand life is not about this thing under the sun i'm the true vine you really want to get life you really want to produce you really want to matter you really want your life to be relevant You don't need to be connected to the world. You need to be connected to me. The personality of the true vine. It's Jesus. It's not pop culture you need connection to. Most of that's filthy, dirty, rotten. You ought to be separated from it. It is not, my friend, music of this old world you need to be connected to. It is not politics and current events. Most of that's depressing and about two-thirds of it is wrong. Oh, my friend, maybe more than two-thirds. It is not politics. It's not the press. It is not, my friend, your peer group. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where life is. That's where hope is. That's where help is. That's where productivity is found. It's in the person of Jesus, the living Lord. He's the true vine. You really want to get plugged into life? Get plugged into Jesus. You really want to know what purpose is? Get plugged into Jesus. You want to know why we are here under the sun in a place where it does not make sense? Get plugged into Jesus. People literally are hanging themselves. People literally are committing suicide. People are taking bottles of pills, drowning, my friend, themselves in alcohol. 
shooting up into their veins with drugs. And this is not just an occurrence that has happened in the last few weeks. But this is the direction of man because he cannot find purpose. Because he cannot find out why he is here. Because he doesn't understand what's he used to live. He looks at the life around him and says, if this is all there is to it, then there's no need. There's no purpose. All he's connected to is the soil beneath his feet. And Jesus said, that's not where we need to be at. That's not the place that really matters. If you want to get grounded in something, get grounded in me. If you want to be connected to something, get connected in me. If you really want to live, your life must be in me. I'm the true vine. It's not enough to be rooted and grounded in this world. That's not where life comes from. I am the true vine. And he tells them this right before he dies. He tells them this right before he is slain on the cross. He tells them this right before his life is hewn down, as it would say. And my friend, the book of Isaiah, and the reason why he says life is in me right before he dies is because three days after the death, there will also be a resurrection. Because no man had the power to take his life from him. But he lays his life down, and if he has the power to lay it down, he has the power to take it up again. If, my friend, you want to have life in you, you need to have something bigger than just a heartbeat. Life is more than a bag of Cheetos and an episode on Netflix. Life is more than just a breath in and a breath out. Life is more, my friend, than just an existence. A dog has an existence. My friend, the beast of the field has an existence. They're all breathing in and out. You're a human being. You're more than that. You are more than, my friend, a, a more than just a life force. You're more than just the genetic makeup of your body. You are more than just uh, hands and feet and eyes and uh, my friend, a, a DNA composition. Uh, you are more than just a collection of molecules. If you really want to live, you've got to get connected into God. Man is not just a body. Man is a soul with a body. Man lives because Christ lives. Our connection is in the Lord Jesus. It is not in this old world we live in. Oh, my friend, He is the true vine. The personality of the true vine. Notice the genuineness of this true vine. Jesus and Jesus alone possesses life in Himself. All other vines are counterfeit. He says, I'm the true vine while He's standing in a vineyard. Look around you boys. Tell me which one of these is the right one. I got news for you. It's none of them. It is me. Which one is the vine that matters? By the way, any of you know anything about planting seeds, vineyards, plants, crops, anything you will know that you can get a vine like this. You may pull it up by the root here and realize that you think you got it by the root. It's the root runs about 15, 20 feet over there and it pops up again over here and you realize that you didn't even have the main vine. You didn't have the true vine. You didn't have the real root to begin with. All you had was an offshoot over here somewhere. All you had was another spring that had sprung up. But to find the true vine, you've got to trace the root back to the beginning. You've got to go back to where everything started to begin with. You've got to go back to where the thing was rooted. 
rooted and grounded to begin with. Jesus said, does any of y'all know him this vineyard looking around you vines everywhere. Oh, my friend, olives everywhere. Oh, my friend, grapes everywhere. Do you know where all of this really started? Do you know where the root really is? Do you know where the beginning really is? You can't find the start. Not in these vines around here. Not in these branches. Is he's breaking them off and throwing them in the air and saying, all right, fellas, find me the root of it all. Instead, he says, look at me. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and hell. I am the true vine. I am the source of everything. I am your strength. If you're not connected to me, you have no life. If you're not connected to me, you cannot live. If you're not connected to me, you have no purpose. All other vines are counterfeit. Help my friend, if you're starting to pull a root of pop culture, it will not connect to the true vine. You begin to pull the root of politics, it's a dead bush. Amen. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Amen. That's exactly right. And corrupt, dirty, filthy, and of the devil. Oh, my friend, you begin to check and see about the root or the vine of religion. It's just as dead. Oh, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. It's not in personalities. It's not in philosophies. It's not in psychology or in psychiatry. It's not in philanthropy. It's not in politics. It's not in pontification. It is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the power of God. It is in the presence of Christ in our lives. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He lives his life then through us. Our life is hid with God in Christ. And then Christ's life is lived through us. The vine's life is displayed in the branches. And when you see the branches vibrant and fruitful and full of leaves and fruit, it is an indication of the health of the vine. And when we are fruitful for Christ, when our lives produce spiritual fruit, when our lives produce things for God's glory, it is not an indicator of how great a Christians we are, but it is an indicator of how great a Christ we serve. We are connected to the true vine. He produces through us or in us. His life is lived out through our lives. Paul said it this way, Christ in me is my hope of glory. And so the genuineness of the true vine, he's the only one. And then there is the gardener of the true vine. The husbandman is what the scripture calls him. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. That term husbandman means the vine dresser, the gardener. Jesus says the father is the gardener. The gardener protects the vine. He provides tender watch care and careful protection over the vineyard. I'm thankful that the father is watching over me every day. I have a heavenly father watching over me each day. Praise God. And so the gardener protects the vine. The gardener purifies the vine. He does this by challenging the branch. Jesus says it this way. He said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken. He taketh away. He taketh away. That term taketh away in verse 2 means to lift up or to raise up higher. Are you listening? 
to me this morning. That is the gardener will take the unfruitful branch and lift it from the dirt into the air to raise it up higher into that which is he will take that which is falling and give it a better chance to be productive. He knows how to bring us up out of the muck and out of the mire. I'm so thankful that when my life is not all that God wants me to be that he knows how to lift it up. He knows how to he knows how to take it away. He knows how to bring it up out of the dirt and put me in a place of productivity for him. He, my friend, purifies the vine by challenging the branch. He purifies the vine by cleansing the branch. He removes things from the branch. He said that he takes it and he purgeth it is the term he uses in verse number 2. He purgeth it. He cleanses the branch from the sap, from the things that sap its vitality and strength. Things like sucker branches, useless buds, misdirected shoots, spots and discovered discolored leaves and so forth. Anything that consumes the life but produces no fruit must go from my life and from yours. Growth is the desire of the gardener and that only comes from the vine. Oh my friend, then listen to me. Separation from the vine would be certain death. We as Christians are not doing our own thing. Living free range like chickens. My friend, in a hippie community, how we are not free ranging this thing. How we are connected to the vine or else we're dead. We are in Christ or else we cannot live. My life is not my own. I live nevertheless not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And we're not just doing our own thing but our life is in Christ the vine and in Christ alone in Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand he is the personality of the true vine personality of the true vine secondly this morning the purpose of the true vine the purpose of the true vine why has the Lord said to us I am the true vine what is the purpose the purpose is production the purpose is productivity to bring forth fruit it can come from the vine only Jesus is the source and we are the outlet how the vine produces fruit through the branches he works in us and produces what he has purpose in this world the vine working through the branches has a distinct purpose. The vine has but one purpose and that is to produce fruit. It is not decorative. It is not for display purposes only but it is for productivity. This is Jesus didn't compare himself to a rose bush. If all you've got is roses you don't have a real garden. If you can't eat what's in the garden then it ain't a real garden. You may pretend to be a gardener but if you can't eat it then my friend it sort of misses the point. Jesus is gardening. I'm not belittling your flowers. Go ahead and have all the ones you want. I'm just saying the garden of God is not for display. It is not a botanical garden. My friend, it is to be producing. It is to generate fruit. And fruit can come from the vine only. Jesus is the source. We are the outlet. My friend, the purpose is to produce fruit. The vine exists for this purpose alone. 
alone. Without the fruit, the vine and all of its efforts are wasted and are worthless. It is the distinct purpose of the vine. And then the purpose is not only distinct, but it is distinguished. It is distinguished. The reason the vine desires to produce fruit is so that the vine dresser might receive all the honor for the fruit produced. When the fruit is yielded in a vineyard, the vine, the branches, the soil, even the fruit does not get the credit. If Brother Randy has a big farm, my friend, a big old garden, and he's got squares, and he's got watermelons and cantaloupes, and he's got tomatoes. Or Brother Randy wouldn't have tomatoes. He would have maters. He's got maters, and he's got all of these good things. And he's got eggplants, and I don't care if he's got eggplants, because I ain't eating a blasted eggplant unless I get real, real hungry and eat nothing else left. But he's got eggplants, he's got all that stuff down there. And Brother Randy brings some of it to me, because he should, if he's got a good garden, bring his preachers some cantaloupes and some maters, and he can keep all the eggplants to himself. And so he brings some to me. And when Brother Randy brings me these watermelons that are oversized, and have these cantaloupes that are just so sweet they make your mouth water, and these tomatoes that you can just lay a knife on and just roll right on through them. They're just right and juicy and make your mouth water whenever you put them on a sandwich. And he brings me all of these beans that taste just right when they're made in a crock pot with a piece of fat back in there with them. And whenever I sit down to the meal, I don't say, wow, what a plant. Wow. What a, what a branch. Wow. What a fruit. Boy, that's some good soil down there in Ranford, Alabama. No, I say to myself, Brother Randy sure was a blessing bringing this to me. Brother Randy who raised this sure was a blessing. You know who all the credit goes to? It doesn't go to the vine. It does not go to the branch. It doesn't go to the fruit. It doesn't go to the soil. It goes to the gardener. Are you listening? And the Father is the gardener. When Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, produce fruit when it's all done, you know who we're going to glorify? We're all going to glorify the Father. We're going to go back to the source of God that gave blessings to it all. We're going to glorify God. Your distinguished purpose in life is to bring honor and glory unto the Lord. And so it is with Jesus. Everything He did and everything He does and everything He was and everything He is is to glorify His Father and everything we are through Christ is to bring honor and glory unto God the Father this morning. A distinguished purpose. You say, what am I here on planet earth for? A real big purpose. Gigantic purpose. Like I said, bigger than Cheetos and Netflix and video games. Your purpose is to bring honor and glory to God the Father. To praise the name of the Lord forever. It's a distinguished purpose. Hallelujah. I don't have to find this purpose in labor of my hands. I don't have to find this purpose in dollars and cents. I don't have to find this purpose in popularity and prestige. I don't have to find this purpose in a new suit. Suit of God owns about 20 years old. I don't have to find this purpose. And by the way, it's still in pretty decent shape so long as what you don't get close enough to see it's got little bitty specks torn and spots on it. But from far off, it looks good. I don't have to find this purpose in a new automobile or 
in a big house or my friend being somebody as the world may define it because my purpose on earth is not that my purpose is to glorify the Father let your light so shine among men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven my purpose is to glorify the Father that is a distinguished purpose I have a purpose in this world and it's not just a small one it's a gigantic one it is an eternal purpose it is a glorious purpose it is a heavenly purpose I'm here to glorify God distinguished purpose and then the purpose of the true vine is not only distinct and distinguished but it's delegated a delegated purpose you see the vine itself does not bear the fruit the fruit of even a tree is not found on the trunk it's out on the ends of the limbs the vine does not bear fruit at the base or at the root. It bears fruit at the extremities. It bears fruit in the branch. Amen. The vine itself does not bear the fruit. The fruit is in the branches. The branches have the obligation of bearing the fruit. The vine supplies the life to the branches. And the branches takes that life. And my friend, they, uh, they transport or transpose that into fruit. If we are attached to the vine, will be fruitful. If we abide in the vine, we will be fruitful. And if we are available to the vine, we will be fruitful. Christ has intended for us to be productive. Get attached this morning. Abide. And be available in God in your life. We'll bring forth much fruit for the glory of God the Father. That is the purpose of the vine, the personality of the vine. I'm closing with this. The promise of the true vine. Those who abide in the true vine can rest assured of some precious, certain, and sure promises. You can rest in those. Jesus gives us promises. As soon as he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he starts making promises as the vine to deliver on. And what about the promises he makes? And by the way, every promise he's ever made, he keeps. Amen. Every one of them. I've tried to be careful in my life, Brother John. I've tried to be careful not to make too many promises. Because I don't want to be the person who over-promises and under-delivers. I don't want to be the... I, matter of fact, I, I'm a little bit of an extremist. I can't, if you make a promise and you intentionally don't deliver on it, I think you're a liar. So I'm careful not to make promises because even if I might not intentionally fail to deliver on it, if I make a promise and unintentionally fail to deliver on it, it makes me feel really bad. I might not be a liar, but I'm far too close to being one and I don't want to be that. So I'm real careful not to overpromise because if you do overpromise, you may be found out to be a failure at least and maybe a liar. And I don't want to do that, but everything the Lord has ever promised, every promise He's always kept and always will. Amen. Hallelujah. He said in these words of this, uh, of this 15th chapter of John that we can rest in His promises. He gives us the promise of unhindered prayer in verse number 7. He said, if ye abide in me, that's in context of vine and branch. If ye, the branch, abide in me, the vine, and He said, my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, I don't know if you realize that or not, 
But what Jesus just said was, I still answer prayers. I will answer your prayers. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I'll answer your prayers. I will hear you and I will answer your prayers. If you have not got verse number 7 of chapter 15 of John committed to memory, my friend, you ought to underline it, italicize it, boldface it, highlight it. My friend, and memorize that verse of the word of the Lord. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Oh, my friend, you need to know that God hears us when we pray. At chapter 14, he said it this way in verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we are abiding as we should be, and when we're drawing our life from Him, then His will will be our will. That is, every time we pray and everything we pray for, we'll be fit perfectly with His will, and He will grant our requests without exception according to His Bible. An unhindered prayer life. And then He gives us the promise of an unending love. A love that's so high you can't get over it. And so low you can't get under it. And so wide you can't get around it. You must come in at the door. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How deep and how high and how wide and how long is the love of God. An unending love. Look at verse number 9 if you still have your Bibles open. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. Jesus loves all men always. But those who are abiding in Him have entered into a special, ever deepening, ever uh, ever enriching, enriching relationship with Christ. And this is the promise of the vine to the branches that our love for Him is unending. How long will the love, Lord love you? He will love you forever and forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. My friend, you may not always be faithful to Him. He will be faithful to you. You may not always trust Him, my friend, but He will always be gracious toward you. We've entered into a relationship of unending love. You may not always treat the Lord the way you ought to treat Him, but He will always treat you the way He ought to treat you. He will never mistreat His children. It is an unending love that He's promised unto us. Uh, is a Help me now. Jeremy Bartlett. Jeremy Bartlett from I grew up with and know of Mount Coleman, Alabama. He's living up in Kentucky now. Might even be watching online. I don't know. Amen. Act like I'm at the ball game, you know, and they turn the camera on everybody and they wave at mom. I'll wave at Brother Jeremy if he's watching. Every time I see him, he says, I love you, and there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. He will tell you that. I got news for you when it comes to the Lord. He loves you and there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. He just loves you with an everlasting love. And then he has the promise not only of an unhindered prayer life and an unending love, but finally there is the promise of the true vine in an uncommon joy. Look at verse number 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. 
I'm about to die. Jesus is between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane where He will say, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Watch ye and pray with me for what, while I go and pray yonder. And then they d- d- fail to pray for the Lord and go to sleep on Him three times. How they betray Him, they forsake Him and flee. He is taken to the hall of Pilate and is uh, taken to the judgment, my friend, and is taken, my friend, by evil hands and slain on the cross of Calvary. He is beaten and bruised and battered and cursed and even forsaken by His own Father. And He lays down His life for us and yet just as He's about to do these things, He said, I'm telling you that you can have joy and it is my joy that's going to remain in you and your joy that's going to be full. That does not make a lick of sense to this whole world. They look around and they say everything's crazy and it is. And everybody's crazy and they just about are. And things are upside down. They call good evil and evil good. How they count abortion clinics essential and churches as optional and preferably not to exist. My friend, the uh, world is upside down and they call right wrong and wrong right. And my friend, the uh, the agenda of the sinful man marches down the streets of our cities like a mad dog foaming at the mouth while the children of God cower in silence. But I'm telling you, that is not the way that God's plan was intended for our lives. He said, I give you my joy. My joy looks at the cross and sets its face like a flint and says, I came to do thy will, O God. My joy looks at the sinner and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My joy looks through the blood, the sweat, and the tears, raises its eyes up unto God the Father who has turned his back away from the Son and says, Father, it is finished. Into thy hands do I commend my spirit. Oh, my friend, his joy is the kind of joy that looks at Mary and says, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Hallelujah. And our joy is the kind that when he calls our name, we say, Master, Rabboni, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. It is an uncommon joy. That is the reason why we can continue on. That's why we can stare at the face of the devil and not be afraid. That's the reason why we can go through the storms and not take the sail down. That's the reason why we can look into eternity and not tremble in fear. That's the reason why no matter what we face, we can say if the Lord be with us, if God be for us, who can be against us? It is an uncommon joy. It's a joy that sings at midnight in prison. It's a joy that scrapes hot boils off your hide and looks at the bones poking through the skin and says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. It is a joy that says while the world looks upon me as I struggle along, they say I have nothing, but they are so wrong. For in my heart I'm rejoicing. How I wish they could see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. It is a joy that is uncommon and, my friend, not understood by most of the world we live in. It's a joy that can only come from abiding as a branch in the vine. Joy is the deep settled assurance and confidence in our relationship with the Father and with His Christ that it fills the heart with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it ignites the believer to serve the Lord from the depths of his heart. It's the kind of joy that makes an apostle look out the window at the the, uh, chopping block where they will remove his head and say, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now what good is a crown going to do you after they cut your head off? Oh, he said, praise God, there's a crown waiting. And I ain't even going to have a head to put it on pretty soon. But the Lord's promised to you, I'll give you a new head, a new body. Put a new head on that body. And a crown on that head. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And the reason why you rejoice is not for me only, but it's unto all them who love His appearing. I say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. There's an uncommon joy. Hallelujah. It's a joy that says, I am now ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome also. It's a joy that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God and salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's a joy. It's the joy, my friend, that says, at the King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. It's a joy that says, when they tell you you can't pray except to the God of Babylon to roll your window up and look towards Jerusalem and call on God anyway and pray. Oh, bless His dear name. That's the kind of joy I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of joy that gets the apostles out of their sequester. It gets the apostles out of their out of their quarantine in Jerusalem. Gets them out of there behind their locked doors and makes them run down the city streets in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, and all in between, saying, He's alive, He's alive, He's alive. The tomb is empty, He's alive. That's the kind of joy that makes them say, After those soldiers that stood guard, this is the Son of God. That's the kind of joy that makes them say, Praise God when they beat them and the mouth and cursed them and said, Don't ever preach again in this name. And they went forth rejoicing, straps on their back, saying, Praise God, we were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. The Christianity of our day is not even skin deep. It ain't even deep as a fingernail. How we've come to a place where people think that everything's supposed to be easy. And we whine and cry about the slightest things. When what we ought to do is say, praise the Lord. I'm in His service. Praise God. I'm walking with Him. Praise God. He lives in my heart. And serve God in this generation again. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. An uncommon joy. You know why folks are so weak? They have no joy. 
The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8 and 10, is your strength. You know why folks are sitting at home today so depressed, they're ready to just eat the bag their Cheetos is in along with their Cheetos? They've eaten the ice cream and the carton. They've eaten so much that their stomach's upset they bought all the toilet paper off the rolls and off the rags. You know why they're so tore up? You know why people are so depressed? They're looking to the world around them for joy. And if you look around, it's discouraging. And if you look down, it's destroying you. But if you look up, there's joy to be found. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. TJ and I talked about last night, it'd do us well to see past the next 10 minutes. It'd be do us well to see outside of our own six-foot space. We're all supposed to be six feet apart for all the time now, you know. It'd do us well to see outside of our own six-foot space, and it would do well for us to see past the next 10 minutes. The reason why folks are defeated is they are wrapped up in the nasty now. Don't care what circumstances are. Doesn't matter. Does not matter what your circumstances are. If all you know is the next 10 minutes and your six foot space, every day of your life you're going to be defeated. Because the right now is hard. But if you will focus your eyes on the prize, if you will say this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. And I press towards the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. If you'll do that, get outside of your six foot social distance space. Get outside the next ten minutes of your life. Put your focus on Christ and on eternity. Then my friend, you can have an uncommon joy. You can smile through all your tears you can rejoice when things are difficult when the sky falls on you you can still say blessed be the name of the Lord hallelujah the common thread in all of these I am statements I'm finished preaching by the way you come with a song I've got got to quit not preaching as long today as what I have been preaching these days I'm going to develop bad habits and <laughs> then I'm on. I've been telling you not to worry about the time, and I'm not really worried about the time, but I don't want to get used to preaching an hour and a half every Sunday because that wouldn't bother me all the time. As far as that goes, I mean, I don't, it's not like I run out of material. Um, we got a whole Bible to preach about. How are you supposed to run out of material? Somebody said, just preach till you're through. How in the world are you going to get through? John said, if I, when he got to the end of his book, he said, I can't finish this thing. If I was to tell it all to you, we couldn't do it. And there are, the last verse, he gets to the end of the book and he says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the whole world could not contain the books that could be written. How are you supposed to run out of something to preach about? How are you supposed to get finished? This morning, I'm coming to the close of the message. The common thread in all seven of these I am's is that Jesus is our life. And it is fitting that we come to the seventh one on Resurrection Sunday. It is fitting that we come to the seventh one on a day when folks are literally frightened out of their shoes about dying. And there'll be some folks that will die from sickness, disease of all sorts today across the world. 
But I'm telling you, if you die and you know Jesus, you can't really die. The common thread is Jesus is our life. And on this precious resurrection Sunday, we are reminded of what Christ, His life, His death, and the resurrection of His body has done to sin. He has vanquished death. Death is a product of sin. And He has vanquished death and its ramifications for all who will trust in Him for life. Death, hell, and the grave have no power over those who have trusted Christ with saving faith. We now abide in Him and He's the source of our life. I'm asking you this morning, are you in the vine? Are you in the vine? I'm not asking you, are you planted in this old world? That'll do you no good. It's not the true vine. Are you in the true vine? Are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you are prepared to meet God? If you do, you have an uncommon joy. You have a, something that settles your nerves while everybody else is drinking Maalox and eating Rolades and worrying about the shape the whole world is in. You can have peace in your heart. Amen. You may have to change your lifestyle, but that don't scare you. You just make necessary adjustments and keep on living. And between now and the time that this old body dies, I'm going to live in this thing. And then when this body dies, I'm going to live in a better body. I mean, I'm a winner either way. I can't lose for winning. What about that? Only the child of God knows that, see. Only the child of God can know it. You know what we ought to do at this time more than anything else? We ought to get in touch with our own mortality. That is the likelihood, probability, and the actuality that you are going to die. And then we need to get in touch with the vitality of Christ. That is the reality that he won't never die. And if you live in him, you won't either. Though this natural man perishes, the man inside, the spiritual man is renewed day by day. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to die no never. Jesus died on a tree for me. I'm going to live forever. Now every Sunday, the thing that really has troubled me the most about these Sundays of social distancing and adjustments more than anything else is that I want to give an altar call I want you to be able to come and bow on this altar together and pray. Weep your way to the Lord. Sister Julia testified a little while ago how right there, I'll never forget watching her come running down that aisle right there with tears in her face. Great, one of the greatest sights I've ever seen in my life. She stepped out of that pew, just stepped out sideways one step and stood there just for a split second and just ran intently down this aisle and fell right there before the Lord in this place right about where I'm standing and began to weep and cry and when I knelt down beside her I heard her little voice out loud Lord save me please save me Jesus save me oh my Brother John's over here praying that same Sunday 
And he didn't know his little boy had come out from the aisle and knelt down right here and he was praying as well. John praying for others didn't even know it. Finally, Daniel had to get up and go over there and grab his daddy by the arm, wrap his arms around his neck, tell him I'm here because I need to get saved. The Lord's saving my soul. He had to be alerted to it. You know why? Because we're here in the altar praying together. The thing that has ripped my heart out more than anything is to try to give an altar call and not necessarily call people to the altar itself to pray. But I want to tell you where you are this morning in your pew. Seated where you are. Where you are listening on the live stream or in the days ahead on the video. That the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save. And that His ear is not heavy that He cannot hear. But if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. The Lord can save you where you are. The Lord can hear you where you call upon Him. The Lord can answer your prayer where you pray. And I'd implore you, I'd beg of you this morning to call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I need, I'll never, I suppose one of the few times I've ever heard Ginger speak in public at all. She opened Sunday school when I was pastoring at Union Hill. That's been 25 years ago. She read from the book of Romans about the wild olive branch and how that the gardener in heaven took and split the tree open that he might take the foreign branch and graft it into the olive tree. That olive tree is the likeness of Israel and the split branch is our Lord Jesus and how he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and for the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And the Gentile person is that wild olive branch that has been wedged into the broken place, wedged into the cut in that tree. And then we have been received into Him though we have no argument to belong there. And now I am in Christ and Christ is in me and that olive tree that has absorbed that wild branch into the cut place then feeds that wild olive branch and causes that one that did not belong to produce fruit as if he were always a part of the tree. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm telling you God will graft you in. God God will graft you into the family of God today. He'll make you a part of the family of God. Everybody stand this morning. Sister Target's going to sing. If you need to pray, sit where you are and pray. Kneel where you are and pray. If you need somebody to pray with you and for you, you raise your hand and we'll surely do it. We'll surely do it. We're praying all across this building this morning. Sing for us when you're ready. Just be obedient to the Lord. Folks on their living room sofas, sitting at the kitchen table this morning, here, there, and everywhere, calling on the Lord together for you. If you're not saved, I would to God you call on the Lord.